Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. was 2019. In fact, it was just the other day, Tuesday to be exact. I was preparing to go on live on LinkedIn when it dawned on me that something pretty historical was happening in the world, not just the U.S. of A. It occurred to me that I had only lived through one of these before, and it was back during the 90s. I'm talking about the impeachment hearings. At the time that I was getting ready for my LinkedIn Live version of the coaching corner, the House was announcing that articles of impeachment had come down for our current sitting president. I had some other plans for today's show, but in light of that, I felt like I should bring another friend back on. That's Torre. The last time we talked in front of you, (laughs) he was on the coaching corner. In fact, he was on one of the first episodes. That's when I shared with you that he was my book coach. He is helping me navigate publishing, the big publishing world, because you know he's written couple of really great books himself. Um, probably the most authoritative book on print since the before the launch of his biography recently. And the state of blackness in America post-Obama age. Torre is a student of culture. You probably know him more so because he is also a political pundit on television most recognizably from MSNBC, but he's also appeared on CNN and other cable news networks. Torre is also human. Today's broadcast, I like to entitle Confessions just because it seems juicy, but I really want to name it Transparency because in light of what's going on in Washington today and you see all the bickering that's going on, At the end of the day, these leadership principles that I talk about and I speak about and I coach about, all of them are in question today. Authenticity and transparency are at the core of it. That's the beautiful thing about conversations with friends. You can be transparent. I encourage you to be more intentional with your friends and family and having dialogue and even your communities, because as you talk, you will learn something new. This episode is no exception. We are going to talk about politics, power, personal struggles, podcasting, and yes, impeachment. I won't take up more of your time with my monologue. We need to get to this conversation. He's transparent, I'm transparent. Today I have my friend, 
TV personality, podcaster, and prolific writer, Torre. everything in Brooklyn? Everything's pretty good. How are you? I'm good. It looks like it's getting dark there already. It'll be dark here soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So listen, why don't we just jump right in with the culture soup moment? Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. So look, I was getting ready for my LinkedIn live show when some stuff was okay. going down, like some monumental historic stuff in the U.S. of A. Articles you know, of impeachment? It's in, it's interesting because it is historic and monumental, and yet it feels like it lands with a thud because we know it doesn't change anything. It doesn't move the needle. The same number of people were on his side at the beginning and were on the side against him. I mean, I feel like we, ever since he came down the elevator, uh, the escalator, the liberal side went to outrage level 10 and the conservative side responded by going to love level 10. And, you know, they, they loved him, but they also enjoyed owning the libs, right? So our outrage level 10 made them thrilled and you can't get any more outraged. And no, you really can't. To We're like, on 10, Torre. <laughs> and he kept doing things, the Muslim ban, the racist comments, the on and on and on that made it worse. And we were more and more outraged. But at some point we reached level, like beyond level 10, but it can't go any further, slash outrage fatigue. And they're super happy because they're somewhat getting what they want, even though not really policy-wise, but emotionally they're getting what they want because he is a constant middle finger to the system and they feel like they're owning the libs. So, okay, but you can't. we can't hate him anymore and we can't want him gone anymore and they can't love him anymore. So... And they don't believe anything that is being said because the Republicans make this into a food fight and then go back to their people and say, look, it's a partisan food fight. It is that way because you made it. And then you have journalists like a lot of people were dragging Chris Saliza from CNN yesterday because his report was, I saw a bunch of guys yelling at each other and this is unwatchable. And like a ton of people, including me, pointed out, I saw no Democrats yelling. I saw... Democrats acting uncivil, and your both sidesism is making it like both sides are equally to blame. So DC is dysfunctional. No, the Republican Party is purposely dysfunctional to fit their thesis that government itself is the problem. So, so here's the question that I have, Torre. Yeah. I've been listening on the radio, mainly on NPR, because they just play it, you know, so you can just yeah. hear it, and there's not much commentary or what have you, but. It's very interesting when you hear the Republican side of things. It sounds like instead of going in for the issues and defending what the president did with real facts, that they're getting in the weeds on process. Mm -hmm. And then when they finally get around to, oh, gee, did he do it? It's like the emperor does have on clothes. Can't you see them? No. Nope. What and compels somebody to go all the way in for somebody 
this deep? Power. They want power. And in their districts, the president is more popular than they are. And elected officials will do anything to stay elected officials. So there's no principle that is greater than being and remaining an elected official. There's no idea that like, well, you know, I will die on my sword for healthcare or more coal plants or less taxes for my district. No, the number one priority is remain. I had Lawrence O'Donnell on my podcast, Torre Show, and he said, it's a trick question to ask an elected official, is there anything you wouldn't do to get reelected? So they're not thinking about, do I like Trump? Can I handle Trump? You know, what will history say? What might, what might, they know there, if you're in Congress, your approval rating is probably somewhere between 40 and 20%. Um, you know, and people's overall approval rating of Congress is very, very low, but they, they may like their uh, congressman or congresswoman, but they like Trump much more, right? Especially in a red district, in a gerrymandered country, in a red district, Trump is probably somewhere between 85 and 95%. So how do you, you know, how do you go against that? And as a Republican, your greatest fear is someone coming from the right and primarying you and saying, I'm more conservative than you. Like, I like Trump more than you do. I'm more like him. And the people going, oh, that's the real guy we really want or the real woman we really want. So, you know, this is why they're like, he can say and do anything and we'll support it. because, you know, it's like the twilight zone to me um, because, I, you know, yeah, I voted Democrat last couple of years. I voted for W in one election, but I remember a time when, I know. You voted for W? Which one? The first one or the, the second one? The first one. Wait, no, no, you I'm mean both, W or George H.W.? The first, the wait. second one. You're, yeah, I yeah, admit yeah, it, yeah, I, I voted for Bush the first time. I meant, I meant versus Gore or versus Kerry. Oh, gosh. I've forgotten which one. You they were mean, both so boring. You, <laughs> you, you didn't vote for H.W. You're not old. You're not I that am, old. Well, okay. It's published. I am 48. <laughs> I know, but so am I. Clinton was the first person who I voted for, who we were eligible to vote for. I'm 48. Right so you didn't, we didn't vote for H.W., but you voted for George W. Bush in 2000 against yes, Al Gore? Yes, I did. Why? <laughs> Back then, I thought he was a good choice. He's also from Texas, so. From Texas. Yeah, well, you grow and you know more, right? <laughs> you mature. Um, wow, okay. You, you, was that the only, and you voted yeah, Democratic ever since. Yeah, totally. From, After that, but my, my well, ultimate point was this. Of course, stop now. <laughs> but my ultimate point was this. I've really believed, and I still believe, that there are principled Republicans out there somewhere. No, 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 no. Name one. Where are they? Not here's the, here's the thing. Jeff Flake, former Republican senator, said if you could have a secret anonymous vote, at least thirty Republican senators would vote to impeach Trump. But in the light of day. None will vote to impeach him. Not even 
Susan Collins, who will flirt with it, who is on the brink of losing because she is in an area that is not, uh, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid for Trump. Even Lisa Murkowski, who is also close, not even Mitt Romney, who's old and wealthy (laughs) and he doesn't need the job. He positioned himself, he seemed to think of himself at one point in, in recent memory as the opposition who would stand up to Trump, who would be that independent voice. Um, he is certainly not that. All of them will fall in line and vote for him and move on to the next fight. And I, I, I mean, who who is it? None of them will break rank. None of them are suggesting they're going to break ranks, and I can't imagine who would. Yeah, it's just, uh, well, these are the topics that you cover on your other podcast. Yes. Democracy-ish. Talk about um, it. Yes, my, my friend Danielle Moody Mills and I talk about politics at a very passionate, uh, progressive, and pro-black perspective. So we're thinking about how things, how these things land for black and brown people. Um, we do not like Joe Biden. We do not want Joe Biden to be the nominee. Um, we like, you know what? I can't part ways with you on you that. You can't part ways with me on that. No, right. I you mean, I mean, I, you know, I mean the, 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 the core of Joe Biden support are older black voters, not black voters who are younger than us, who part ways with Joe Biden. Um, you know, I would like to see someone more progressive like Elizabeth Warren. I would be very happy with Bernie as the nominee. Um, I Well, Bernie still, I mean, Bernie's health concerns me. Like, he's up in age and wow. Yeah. I mean, I'd do it just because he... Uh, he he would have our best in in mind. I'm, I mean, I'm but. not concerned about Bernie's health. He's fine. He seems fine to me. I'm interested in having an extremely intelligent person. Uh, you know, which also comes down to Elizabeth Warren uh, be the president. I mean, I thought that's what Hillary was. I think that's what Bernie is. I think that's what Elizabeth Warren is. And you know, uh, Bernie to me. When he was running against Hillary Clinton, I was a Hillary guy. And when I first really listened to Bernie, I was like, wow, I believe that he believes everything he's saying. And I think Hillary believed everything she was saying. I thought that she was, you know, triangulating and saying the right thing. But I thought she would be a very effective leader. Um, I was like, Bernie says what he really believes. I like that about him. And I think he's very That was Team Bernie in the primary. Yeah. Now, the thing that I want to avoid for us as Democrats is thinking that we need somebody who's going to be mean to Trump and will beat him up. And so you need a Joe Biden who can stand up to him. Like, we need somebody to say mean things to him and verbally or perhaps literally punch him in the face. And I'm like, no. We don't need any of that. And one thing I noticed is that typically, as America, we go opposite, right? That each president is the opposite in many ways of the prior president. Um, Clinton seemed to be loosey goosey and hippie, right? Part of why he was impeached, he had an affair right in the Oval Office. So we get the teetotaler businessman. Uh, George Bush, who's like very stiff and he's like, you know, I know I don't do anything wrong. Um, but then he seemed dumb. So then we follow that with 
a brilliant black man after the dumb Southern white man. Uh, but then the progressive nature of a black president was too much for a lot of people. So the other half of the country roared back and we get a dumb racist white man following brilliant forward looking black man, right? And also a regressive reactionary 1950s loving white man. So who would be the true total opposite of Trump? Elizabeth Warren, the brilliant female Harvard professor, that would represent the opposite of Trump, even more than Bernie would. Um, and not that we're looking for the most opposite, but, you know, just as that, when I think about that, I mean, you know, but, you know, Bernie, it, it, I, I don't like to get caught up in the day-to-day -day machinations, but we're heading toward Iowa and momentum in the first three or four contests is really important. And Bernie has been gaining momentum over the last couple of weeks. And Elizabeth Warren has been losing momentum over the last couple of weeks. And I would like to take that with a grain of salt, but it's getting important. And Bernie has extremely passionate, committed supporters who are going to stick. You're right about that. You're right about that. So they can tune in when for Democracy-ish. It's, it's a podcast, so, you know, you can get it at your leisure on demand, but anywhere five podcasts are streamed. Okay. How, how frequent is it? Is it every week or? Yep. Comes out every Thursday. Torrey Show comes out every Wednesday, and this comes out every Thursday. Okay. So the Torrey Show is a little different, and that's your kind of your 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 landmark podcast, right? Yes, that's my uh, well. It's for now hour long, one on one most of the time with some successful black person. Um, we've had uh, Malcolm Nance, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, uh, Michael Smith, the Lucas brothers. So we had a really interesting one with Cintoya Brown, who just got prison, and Ambassador Susan Rice. We had an amazing one with DMC from Run DMC, where yeah. he talked about feeling suicidal and how he dealt with depression and feeling suicidal for a long time. Um, Dapper Dan, uh, but not, you know, Central Park Five, Ice Cube, Nia Long, Jamel Hill, but it's not always uh, black people. We've had some white people who I mm -hmm, love. Mm -hmm. We've had uh, Mark Ronson and Sandra Bernhard and um, who else? I'm looking for another white person. Well, you know, Salman Rushdie's not white, but uh, he's a friend and I love him and he's an amazing writer. Yeah. Uh, we just had a great one with Michael Eric Dyson. That was about a week ago. You can't um, go wrong with him. Man. We have two exciting ones coming up in the next two weeks. Kim Fields, who was Tootie. Oh, I love Tootie. And, right, and Living Single. Yes. Um, we had her on the show, and we got really, really deep just talking about feelings and the business and emotions and just life and stuff, and it was it was really heavy. You know, the yeah. last time I saw her, and this kind of paints her in a different light, so I can't wait to hear your podcast. She was Real sitting helpful. on the piano bench with Smokey okay. Norfolk. And Smokey okay. Norfolk was singing, and she I think she sang too, but it was a side of her I'd never seen. And we're having, uh, in two weeks, Yvette Nicole Brown. Uh, really interesting, really powerful, really thoughtful. I mean, like, 
she's an actress who came out of Cleveland, single parent. You know, she's like, how did I make it in Hollywood? I really don't know. I don't take classes. When I would try to ask her questions about craft, she would be like, I don't know why you're asking Hacky McGee these sort of questions about, you know, backstory and movement and like, you know, the light goes on, they say action and I'm just in the moment. And like, that's what I do. And like, you know, um, but she was really thoughtful. She was really interesting because she talked a lot about how her mom was very open in the childhood home about money. And uh, they had very little money and her mom was very open about that and thoughtful about like, you know, we have $2, what do you want to do with it? My parents were very racially open, so we talked about race and where we and racism where we saw it, but we didn't talk about money. So I grew up to be racially aware, and it took me a long time to be financially aware and not have tremendous anxiety every time the subject of money came up. Um, so you know, I'm hoping to be a little bit better with my kids about money. And you know, a lot of us are struggling. We don't have the money we want to have. Um, you can talk to your kids about that so that they don't have shame around it. Damn. You know, one of the, the best things, best moments I recall, Joni, and she's just seven, but even as a toddler, when groceries were delivered or we went to the grocery store, that little baby girl celebrated. And it was the most pure joy ever. And I remember thinking, me growing up, I never thought of it that way. Then it wasn't because we were broke or anything like that, but she just appreciated the fact that we were able to get all of these good things and she would go into the pantry and just squeal with joy. You know, it's interesting because you made me think about an interview I have coming up in January, either late January or early February uh, with Joy Bryant. Oh, I love her. And, and I asked her, you know, like, what has money afforded you? Um, that you you know that you didn't have when you're growing up because she's also single parent, really raised by a grandmother who dropped out of whatever little job she had to go on welfare to raise Joy, and she talked about going into the supermarket and that is her greatest joy. Not going yeah. into Gucci, I can go into Gucci and get whatever I want, but like you know going into the supermarket yeah. and getting whatever yeah. I want that is the greatest joy because we had to wait until when I was a kid, we had to wait until avocados were on sale and we could get one. And now I get whatever I want. And that is, and that's where she really locates her joy around having money, the freedom of the supermarket, which is really powerful. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're reformatting, revamping Tory Show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to make some changes. I've been thinking a lot about Patreon and the power of Patreon and allowing the subscribers, the people who love you, your true fans, have a chance to get a little extra if they're willing to support you and the show. And a lot of people are, as fans, are seeing the value in that. There's a lot of podcasts that are making ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a month, a hundred thousand oh, wow. dollars a month. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just sort of giving their fans an opportunity to participate um, in terms of giving them a little bit of money each month, you know, and quite often we're talking about, you know, give me $5 a month to help me uh, do deal with the show. But if you have, you know, 10,000 fans or 20,000 fans and a nice portion of them chip in, you know, you can have a nice solid 
income that allows you to really focus on the show. And if the show means a lot to you, dear listener, then give me a little bit and I can make the show even better. And so, you know, there's just different ways of going about podcasting. You know, the traditional get advertisers route was my initial mindset because I come out of traditional right. media. But that's tough to do. Which is like, it's tough to do. Right. Get ads and that's how you do it. And people more and more, just even over the last month, have been saying, Patreon, Patreon. And like, you know, this is something that's, it's the, the concept is not new. People have been supporting the arts for centuries, but, uh, you know, this is very modern in terms of the Kickstarters right. of the world, uh, uh, giving, uh, using the web to be able to support people you love and respect. So we're gonna move to a format where uh, we're gonna put out like a half hour show with people, but if you Patreon us, then you get the whole show. Oh. And if you are a Patreon, then you're going to get some episodes that the non-paying folks don't get, you know, and there'll be ads on the main show, but really trying to get people to say, hey, like, you know, if you kick us $5 a month, you know, which is the lowest tier on Patreon, then, you know, you're going to get all this content, all this great stuff. If you love the show, you know, the, so, I mean, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting experiment um, in a way of sort of relating to the fans a little bit differently. I like that. It's really kind of a digital spin on public radio for podcasts. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, you have another project coming up. It's a lot more personal. I do. I've been thinking about just how can I say things in public that are really, truly meaningful? And, you know, the hundredth essay on how bad Trump is, okay, you know, or the 20th essay on how great Kaepernick is, like, okay, but like, can I do something different? Um, And I've been thinking about how can I talk more deeply and honestly about me and really be vulnerable about me and thus saying things that really matter to people. And um, I just started thinking about just different things that I've been thinking about the last couple months, last couple years. Um, You know, I mean, one big thing for me in my life is that for a long time, I would smoke a lot of weed, like all the time, like at least once a day, if not two or three times a day. Um, And two months ago, something happened, a perspective shifted, and I finally was able to break free of that. I haven't smoked in two months. And if you went to me three months ago and said, you're about to stop, and in two months you won't have smoked in two months, I'd be like, get the hell out of here. Like, how is that possible? So how did you get to that point, Torrey? And first of all, congratulations. Good for you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this is the this is the essay. This is the first essay that I'm doing in this new series that, that we're talking about, which is calling Adulting is Hard. So I'm talking about my road to quitting and how difficult it was to quit and the sort of grip of the addiction and finding a way out of it. And I just started to see myself as too much of being a spectator in my own life, being numb to my own life, running away from my feelings, um, just sort of saying, you know, I'm, I'm not present enough in my own life and I can change that. I don't need to just accept that. Um, 
And, you know, also, I around playing this tennis tournament, I was able to create like a five-day window where I didn't smoke. And when I got to the fifth day and I was like, wow, it's been five days and my lungs feel clearer and my head feels clearer and I feel less chaotic. And I could really start to see the difference between this and that. And I was like, this is really good. Like, let's see if I can keep this going. Because if this is how I feel after five days, how am I going to feel after three months? And I finally, for the first time, was able to approach sobriety, not with the mindset of, don't do that, don't do that. But I want to do this. I want to be sober. I want to experience stronger lungs, a clearer mind, a less chaotic life. And I wanted to be sober, where in the past I had tried to quit saying, I don't want to be a smoker. And when I had a positive mindset to grasp onto, rather than just a negative, negating, rejecting mindset, um, it was very powerful. It was very powerful. And, it, and it, it's, it's something that I can, I still feel temptation, but I have a much stronger uh, way of pushing back against the temptation voice. Because one of the things I talk about in the essay, you know, all of this I talk about in the essay, um, you know, the addict has like a voice of addiction in your mind that's sort of talking to you and fighting to keep the addiction going. And you got to find a way to deal with that. So, you know, I, I want to deal with like really heavy stuff like, you know, feeling suicidal at times, you know, talking about marriage, uh, you know, and like my thoughts on like who, how to know who to marry. Um, so, I mean, you know, look, if your folks are listening to this and they want to throw at me like, you know, big adult topics that they are thinking about that they want me to think about grappling with, um, you know, you can tweet at me at Torre, uh, you know, T-O-U-R-E at Torre and say, hey, why don't, you know, I heard you on, uh, you know, the, the, her show and like, you know, why don't you talk about this or why don't you talk about that? And like, you know, see what, because, you know, you hide from the vulnerable parts, right? And I got to sort of force myself to say, that you are trying to hide. So try to talk about that. So do you think this adds a level of accountability? I mean, you know, it does. I mean, I've been talking to writers, younger writers, about this sort of notion of being vulnerable and thinking like, if you don't want to write something, if you don't want to admit something, then you have to talk about that. You have to go toward those sort of things that you're like nervous about talking about. So I had already broken through that barrier. And so now I'm trying to find a uh, higher bar uh, for that. But, you know, I just, I wanted to have a place where I could say things that were really, truly meaningful. And I think when I'm talking about uh, quitting, people are going to be like, this is meaningful. Like either I did that and good for you. And like, you bring me back to that happy place of thinking about that struggle that I overcame or people who are like, you know, on the fence about like, maybe I should, a bunch of people said, I'm on the fence and you encouraged me. And, you know, look, I'm not telling everybody stop smoking weed. Weed is the devil for many people. It is a great addition to your life. I completely understand that. And I completely encourage people who can control it 
to go and have uh, weed be a part of your life. But for people like me, weed was not a part of my life. It was really a, too big a piece of my life, and I had to get control of it by stopping it. Well, isn't that what they say about any addiction when it starts to creep into important parts of your life? That's when you know that something needs to give, right? I mean, if you're thinking about it all the time and you're kind of waking up like, when can I smoke? And you're putting your kids to bed, like, come on, hurry up and go to bed so I can smoke. And you're out doing stuff and you're like, well, if I leave here, I can go home and smoke. It's a bit much. It's too much. And I was like, you know, I got to write something. Let's have a smoke so I can be more creative. I got to do the dishes. Let's have a smoke so I won't be so bored. And it's like, wait a minute. Every moment provides a justification for smoking. Something is wrong here. So this is going to be... Did you come to this by yourself or did somebody raise it? No, mainly by myself after many years of talking about it and many years of like, I should, I should, I should, I should, I should and not wanting to hear it. And I think my wife has been big this year. She read this book about, read this book this woman wrote about dealing with her finances uh, and being very aggressive about like, look, you know, like don't be afraid, like just face it head on. And, uh, you know, so she's been trying to push that mindset. And it made me think about how I was using weed to run away from certain emotions, how, I shouldn't really do that. So that's kind of where it came from. This is going to be on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. I'm just going to try to fill it up with deep, thoughtful, personal essays and see where it goes. So when does it kick off and can we start seeing it? Uh, probably next week. Wow, um, okay, good. I was hoping for, I shot the first one. I was hoping for this week. I got to sit down in iMovie and edit it. My friend gave me a tutorial on how to do iMovie yesterday. So I feel pretty good about it, but I'm sure this one's gonna take me longer than next ones will. Um, and I wanna spruce up my YouTube page and my Patreon page for this. So there's some pre-work that I gotta do to before I open the doors. But hopefully uh, next week I could start putting this stuff out and letting people see like, you know, deep into my heart and, you know, see if they really respond to the content. I love that. I love that. Congratulations on that, Torre. And you know what? As a coach, that's one of the things I say to my clients all the time. You have to own your story, even the things that are challenges, because those things are the things that are going to push you forward. And it's also yes to all that. And it's also about embracing the new tools as a way to do what you want to do. I really didn't know that about Patreon two months ago, and I made the effort to try to figure it out. And, you know, it's going to be a work in progress, but I'm adding that to my toolkit. I did not know how to use iMovie uh, a week ago, but I watched a couple videos. I got a younger person to show me how to do it. And now, like, okay, I feel like I got these tools. I can start to practice. And, like, soon I'll be like, okay, I can rock an iMovie and make something. And just, like, you know, like, like we can rely on younger folks to show 
how to use some of the new tools to enhance the things that we've been doing for so long. Absolutely. Tore, it has been a pleasure yet again. And this is your first time on my Thursday show. I would love to have you back probably sometime next year. Oh, you know I'll be back. You know I'll be back. I love you. You know, it's, the friendship is real. So, you know, it's, 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 I'll definitely be back. Awesome. Well, I love you too, Tore. You take care. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Pete. What an exciting conversation with Tore, political pundit, TV commentator, and author, prolific writer, and my friend. Let's hear it for Tore for overcoming addiction. Is that awesome? And I'm absolutely, positively proud of him for wielding those weapons of mass innovation. You're gonna hear me talk about those more, but did you hear how he dug in, stretched himself, and learned a tool, Patreon, that's gonna make him money? Hey, I gotta look into Patreon. It sounds like it's a great thing. Shout out to D Magazine and DCEO Magazine for having me out this morning. What a wonderful opportunity to share with Dallas's top women leaders at their Women Leaders Breakfast Series. I had a power panel, two other business women who really rocked that platform with me. And we talked about it all, y'all. Not just how to build your squad, how to activate them. We talked about privilege. We even talked about ageism. We covered it all, y'all. Thanks to my squad who showed up. Dallas squad showed up and showed out. Ashley Blaker, Natasha Brooks, Lola Vincent. Oh, gosh. Rachel Smith. Um, Sheila Marks. Who else? Anita Ladeau. Look, y'all, my tribe was in full effect. And it was just awesome to see them out there. And what's beautiful is, although some of them are my mentees, some of them mentor me, and some of them are my clients, they actually came away with new information. Look at that. Ain't he all right? Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at theculturesoup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.